Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Today is the first, and hopefully, if it goes well, a series of shows known as the Gambling Movie Club. I'd do a book club, but as many people know, I can't read. So that's really tough for me, because not a lot of these books are available in audio versions. So it's just easier to watch the movie, as most people do for book club anyway. They just watch the movie version of it, because they don't want to spend the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours it takes to actually sit down, learn to read, then read the book. So movies seem to work out well for all of us, especially when it's available free on YouTube. I'll be dropping that link into the description if you can't find it on any sort of streaming service. I put it out there in the newsletter, which you can subscribe to in the comment section, and out on Twitter and all the social medias that we would be talking about the Canadian 2003 movie Owning Mahoney, which a lot of people just said, I've never heard of this movie, but it stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I wanted to launch it with a movie that I thought was pretty, I don't want to say relatable based on what happens, but what the guy goes through throughout the course of the movie. I think we can see a little bit of ourselves. Anyone who's bet on anything can see themselves in Dan Mahoney. Just a little bit, I think. So joining me to talk through the movie, two guys that had never seen the movie before. One, regular to the show, Davis Maddock. What's going on? Not uh, not a lot going on. Uh, a very relatable movie, right? You, you, you don't want to say relatable because Dan Mahoney is a sick loser, but it's, come on, it's a relatable movie. And, and I was thinking um, in doing preparations for this podcast amongst all of us, I, I probably am the sickest of, of the three of us on here, like the, the sickest gambler. Maybe, maybe, Pat, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're more sick, but I definitely think of the three of us, I, I got to be the sickest. I feel like I was the sickest about 15 years ago when I went through my Mahoney stage, when I was just collecting paychecks at my job after I was, well, basically I was in college, and then I was working a job to fund me going to the casino and lose all my money at Blackjack and Baccarat. And then I just have no money for two weeks until I got paid again. Fortunately, I wasn't allowed to have credit cards at the time. Good move. They would not approve me. Smart on their part. First timer to the Pat Mayo experience. Somehow, I don't know how this has actually never happened. Peter Overset, what's going on? Hey, I am excited. Yeah, I had people saying, like, have you ever done a show with Pat? And I know uh, Pete Manzanelli, my alter ego, uh, <laughs> and you got together uh, back in football season. But yeah, excited to uh, to be here. So let's start with you. You hadn't seen this. Was this, when I said that this is the movie that we were watching, did you look into what this movie was about or did you just watch it? Yeah, well, I felt like a fraud because I'm a Philip Seymour Hoffman fan. I mean, a lot of people are and uh, obviously a gambling fan. I was like, how was this movie not on my radar? Uh, and yeah, so I was excited to watch it. And I'm actually not even, this feels like such a weird take. I'm not a movie guy. I feel like all movies are too long. Uh, and when I saw this one came in at a crisp hour 45, I was like, all right, this checks all the boxes for me. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Davis, what was your main takeaway besides like the first five minutes when they really dialed up the Canadian accents? <laughs> My main takeaway, I mean, uh, honestly, like I was, uh, you know, just thinking about this movie today. I thought the weirdest thing was that he wanted ribs with no sauce. That like that being the thing of like, uh, like there are many sad things about this, but the fact that he used his comp points the fact that you know they, these people would literally do anything to keep him in the casino i thought it was so fucking sad that he was like i want ribs no sauce 
and a Coke. Because I'm thinking as myself, if I'm in a casino and I'm stuck, you know, a bunch of money, I'm, I'm using this to regenerate as much action as possible. I'm, I'm ordering food to the table. Like I'm getting, I'm getting lobster tails sent to the table when I'm stuck. Like I'm not, I'm not going ribs, no sauce. Like I'm down to get these comps. Yeah. And then they wouldn't even bring it out to him while he was at the table. They had to keep him playing because he was in the middle of a gigantic cold streak. The first thing that popped into my mind with ribs, no sauce and a Coke was this sounds like something Andrew Cuss would order at a casino. <laughs> Big time. Well, I think it was probably a very, uh, I mean, I know it's based on a true story. I don't know if that was actually the uh, the real life uh, Maloney's uh, preferred dish, but it, I think it illustrated what a sickness he had. Because I think we're all like Davis, right? Like if we're putting down that money, we want the we want the benefits. We want to really luxuriate in that. But he literally just had a degenerate gambling sickness where I think there was a quote where it's like, he just wanted to win money, so he had more to lose. And it's just like anything else was a distraction from that. Anything else was just pulling him away from feeding that addiction, is which is actually what made it so depressing. Yeah, it, this is not an uplifting movie. That's why I wanted to start with this one. Because most gambling movies that you see, there's always like, you know, the... You have a movie like 21 or something where there's like, you know, they, they go to the back room of the casino and they kind of get you. But it usually ends up like happy for the people. They end up winning or I mean, there's a few of them that don't end up doing that. But I feel like there are very few gambling movies that highlight the addiction of gambling. Uh, 1-800-GAMBLER, I think it is, <laughs> uh, if you have a if you have a problem with this. And I, I think that you see yourself a little bit in this and how if you really went down this path, Davis, that this, I wouldn't say that this could be you, that you're you know, stealing money outside of a fake bank account to go to, the best part is like he kept going to Atlantic City instead of Vegas. That just cracked, that that just really illustrates the type of problem that you have. Illustrates, yeah. Although it's very close to Toronto. It's like an hour. Yeah. I mean, look, all of us, if you're listening to this show, come on, we've all, we've all felt stuck. Like, let's be honest, you've gone on, you've been, you've been at the poker table, you've been at the craps table, you've been playing whatever, you're on like a nine-week losing streak at NFL DFS, you, you're just begging your dudes to make the cut. The moment that I felt was most relatable was when he bet on the North Carolina game. He bet on that, what, plus two, right? And they they won by, or, or minus two, and they won by one. We've all had that moment where we're sweating golf, football, whatever it is, you're sweating a game, you're with probably your significant other's family and the game is on. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's generally like a jackass brother-in-law or something who's like watching the game and has sports opinions and you're there and you're sweating it and you have some amount of money on the outcome. It doesn't go your way. I mean, we've literally all been there like that. That was, I think the most relatable moment for me. When, when we watch it, uh, Paul came in. So Paul, that was exactly the scene that you pointed to. You're like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I was there on last, well, yeah, the previous Friday. There was a Bellator card. I had a whole bunch of chalk parlays. I'm living at home before our move here. And uh, Goiti Yamauchi uh, got robbed. And I'm, I'm watching on my computer. My mom's there. She just, like, she, she sees me completely freak out, has no idea what I'm losing my mind about. I go out for a tilt sig. It wasn't good. <laughs> and then I watched that movie, like, the next day. And I was just like, that's me. That's me right there. How sad is that? You're not stealing money from me, are you, to put down these bets? <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It has to be pretty dire scene. Pete, like, was there a part of Mahoney that was relatable to you whatsoever? 
Well, it was funny because I was just about to say something that was entirely not relatable to me. And that was like a lot of times I don't play slates if I don't get any sweat equity out of it or I won't make a bet like I want to be able to watch. I want to get the sweat entertainment value out of it. And, you know, he's making these bets where he'd be like literally every underdog or take all of the AFC teams to win or, you know, whatever, just like very blanket bets. And it's like, how are you even getting any sweat? equity out of this and that was the part i just could not relate to yeah well you brought up the 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 key quote i had written down was when the pit boss just tells his like crony you know why he wants to win so he has enough money to lose i i felt like that was the most relatable thing to me in this entire thing because honestly i'm not gambling to be a professional gambler i'm just gambling for the thrill of it and i just want to have enough money that i can bet it and i just don't want to go in the hole here i want to win a whole bunch so i can just bleed it all back isn't that what Basically, I assume that all of us, everyone who's watching, maybe not you, Davis, you're, you're like a pro, aren't you? But most people watching, that's what they're gambling for. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I play to make money, uh, but I like the, once I'm stuck, when you're like, I'm, I, if you're on a big downswing over six months or whatever of the year, you would, you'd very much like to, uh, to get back to the point. Although, you know, there are tertiary benefits from, uh, from a losing year of like being able to write. So, or if you lose on DraftKings, you know, you can write off other stuff, but I, I do, I do totally get what you're saying, which is a vast majority of people who are playing daily fantasy are doing it for fun. Like they, 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 it's fun for them. It's a good sweat and the wins are nice and making, you know, hitting, hitting $20,000, $40,000. Like that's amazing. That's incredible. That's, that's good, you know, life-changing money for 98% of people probably who play, but in general, you just don't want to have to deposit. Like the, the goal, the goal of the game is to not have to deposit more on DraftKings. Yeah. It's the same thing at the sports book too, which is like, yeah, if I have enough money, if I have money in my account, I'm just like, all right, I'm good here. I don't need to deposit. This is fantastic. I keep making bets until all the money is gone. I, I feel like that's you know, pretty, Linear throughout most people likely watching the show, especially if they're following my picks. I mean, they're probably depositing uh, from time after time. But I mean, Pete, you're the deposit king. I, at least you <laughs> were the deposit king. Actually, very coincidentally, I'm wearing my deposit king shirt right now. So, yes. <laughs> did you find, uh, did, were the Canadian accents at the beginning like super <laughs> noticeable? Because I mean, I'm Canadian. I live in Toronto. I don't hear these accents anywhere. They sounded like they were in the movie Fargo. See, this is this, that's actually really funny because I did notice them, but they kind of fulfilled kind of the Canadian stereotype I like, but not in a way that was like a caricature. So, but I imagine that if I live there and experience it, it might uh, seem a little more phony. Well, it, it's strange because it's the more you go outside of any of the cities that you would get an accent that sounds more like that. I and mean, it would be like, I don't know, Pete, where are you at? You're in the Northeast, right? I'm in Boston, but originally from Colorado. Okay, so in Boston, like you have your people with like the Boston accents, but if like I maybe maybe Boston doesn't work because that's very specific to Boston. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to think like. No, maybe- my in law my in laws have like pretty thick Boston accents, and my wife doesn't have one at all. And she's from Boston. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like one of those things where I, I guess like, I don't understand the mechanics of how that worked, how she uh, didn't end up with it while her parents do. But, uh, I, yeah, I, it's exaggerated more in certain areas than others. Yeah, it's like when I meet people from the South, if they're from a major metropolitan area, they have like a slight twang of the Southern accent. But I feel like if you get like 50 miles outside of any city, it's like the Southern accent that you have in your mind. Like, Davis, you're what, in St. Louis? 
Yeah. Is there like a Missouri accent? So you get the you get the people from the hills out here <laughs> who say Missouri. They and they they like oh like they 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 use very long vowel sounds like their a's get real long and drawn out our our governor actually our giant dipshit of a governor sounds like a caricature of a hillbilly distilling moonshine from like the 1920s it's it's unbelievable that this man holds elected office but people do actually sound like that like if i if i was to go get in my car drive an hour uh west to just to some hillbilly town and I went into a gas station to go get something I it would someone would talk like completely different than me but the people in St. Louis don't have that accent there's like a very small regional accent you get with people in the Midwest in general where if they don't have the country affectation there are some things we say that sound that you would hear that you would hear that that Pete would hear, but you know, people from the Midwest become like broadcasters and stuff. Cause we just have very, our, our accent is very plain. It's, it's really not noticeable at all. In the movie that the John hurt, who's the casino, I guess he's the GM of the casino. He's not a pit boss. <laughs> like Un- unclear. Yeah. I, I was, I was kind of just, he runs the casino and I did enjoy that there was the part where the people in the security room were like cheering him on at the end and then being like, Oh no, it's happening. Uh, but is there really a rivalry between Atlantic city and Vegas? Or is that like a one-sided rivalry? You said you're in the Boston area. It's like before Boston had won a world series, like the Yankees are our biggest rivals. Like, yeah, but you guys haven't won anything. It's not really a rivalry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where that was. Uh, that was happening. That was like a manufactured storyline. I did think John Hurt's character though, uh, was probably one of the best characters in the movie. So good. Well, there are very few characters in the movie overall. There's probably what, like six. Cause you had that, yeah. that, that like, Canadian federal agent who <laughs> I, he didn't really do anything. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he looked like, who did he, he looked like the, uh, he looked like, it, Tim, no, it's Timothy Oliphant. I think. Okay, no, yeah. Who did he look like? He he looks like he looks like Dime Store Brad Pitt a little bit <laughs> in Fight like, Club, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or or Oceans when his hair is spiky. Yeah, I yeah. think that might have been what I was thinking of. What is that guy's name? I I didn't enjoy seeing Maury Chalkin as like the the local bookie that he had. Like that guy just is there Frank, any Frank per- Frank Perland? I thought he was great too. Yeah, is there any other role that actor could play? I mean, he's like John Candy's understudy. That that's like that's the only other thing he would be eligible for. But like, yeah, like he could he could have shown up in Rounders, and I would have been like, yeah, that that makes him, uh, you know, about about as much sense. Yeah, he he looks like the the father of the guy in Rounders who kept trying to collect the money from Worm and then hooked up with KGB. Yes. Yeah, he looks kind of like uh, you know Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride, like that kind of vibe. <laughs> He seems so nice, though. Maybe that. Maybe yeah. that's what. I mean, I don't know very many Canadian bookies, but I guess I have to talk to Cam about that. Maybe Feinberg would end up knowing. Cam deals with these people exclusively because he's not allowed to have credit cards. Um, so this is where he has to go make his wagers. Uh, Johnny Knuckles, you, you got to collect from Johnny <laughs> Knuckles. You, you, you don't want to go see that guy every Monday. It was funny because, yeah, you. It, they did seem like they had the Johnny Knuckles vibe, and then they just actually pitied him and were trying not to take his action and stuff, which made it even more sad. It, it's a weird... I, I guess this almost works with any sort of addiction, where, like, the, the compulsive nature of it, um, that you just don't see it manifest this way in a movie all that often. Like, oh, 
it's someone walks in with a like the very last scene or the very last like time he goes to the casino and he's up like 10 million bucks or whatever it is then bleeds it all away and then he's the sad guy making the 50 dollar bets at the end of the night on the blackjack table i've i mean i've never won that much money obviously but like in a night when i didn't have much money going in and then I would win a whole bunch. So if I went with like 200 bucks and I got up to like 2,500, there was always, you know, the part where they're shutting down the tables and I'm sitting there playing like a $5 hand of blackjack, just thinking to myself like, okay, just one hand, I'll get it going again and I'll rebuild it. I don't know what happened to the rest of the money. Uh, I, I went on a cold streak. It's time to rerun the hot streak. Like I just, I, I felt that so much. It was, it was, I looked at myself like, this is fucking pathetic. I'm glad you don't do this anymore, but... Uh, I, I can see where he's coming from with that, and I think that people will see themselves in that. And that's the part of this movie that I feel like other movies don't show. It's like, oh, I lost it all on one big hand, now I'm broke. But that's not how this happens. Yeah. Did you guys think it maybe swung, though, too far in the other direction, where I felt like there were not enough scenes where he was actually winning, you know, kind of fueling that, you know, tasting the gambler's high and chasing it. It just felt like so many of the scenes were just like losing after losing <laughs> after losing. Yeah, I, I guess that's a really good point because you always have that like montage in any sort of gambling movie when the times are good, the money's rolling in, every, people are high-fiving at the table. We had the one run of that. Was it when it was he, when he was playing craps when he snuck out of the Vegas hotel? You had that and then his like hot run before he ended up losing it all. Those were really the only, and that's probably a total like three and a half minutes in the movie. Yeah, it just, I, I guess that's what ha is so hard about that is there's so many aspects that you don't, you know, relate to uh, as far as the reason when you go and you want to go back to the ATM, it's because you've experienced the highs of winning. You think that you can get back there, but so many of those scenes, especially at the end when he's, you know, playing those three uh, monster blackjack hands and it's just loss, loss, loss. It's like no false hope anywhere. Just like a slow descent into losing every cent he has. Well, he, he shouldn't have stopped playing Baccarat because he was able, he was just dealing himself fire and dealing the dealer nothing. He was dealing the dealer like, you know, Baccarat. He was dealing himself natural nines and he was all good to go. Davis, you ever played Baccarat at a casino? So I got to, I got to come very clean here. I, I'm not a nit, <laughs> but I know enough about gambling to know that you just should not play games like that. You no. shouldn't play craps. No, you, you shouldn't play you should, blackjack. You, should. you, you sh shouldn't play baccarat. You should, you should play craps and you should play baccarat. Craps, if you know how to play it, is one of the games that you can kind of tilt to your advantage a little bit. And baccarat is probably the closest thing to a 50-50 game in your favor you're going to find. Those are the two. Well, yeah. Davis, you, you, I mean, I, I know you don't drink much, but you know, getting, getting tipsy at a casino and just punting off a few hundred dollars playing blackjack or roulette. I mean, you got to experience that. So I have played, I have actually played, I've played blackjack at this casino before. I, I've actually played in Vegas with um, some of the DK guys and back, but kids don't know this back in the day, they used to be able to have live finals um, in, in Las Vegas. That, that was, that was a long, long time ago. Um, but in casinos, I, I just play poker because that's a game where you're competing against the people who are there tipsy, just having a good time by and large, especially when you're playing, uh, one, two or two, five or whatever. And, uh, that's, that's a beatable game. The house gets their cut either way. So I, the, the sitting there at the end of the night playing $5 hands of blackjack, I, I cannot relate because I, I don't really I have, I have very limited experience with table games. Well, 
Did you know, like, is there no casinos around where you grew up or went to college? Uh, no, there was a casino. We used to go play. There was a, about 45 minutes away from where we went to college. There was a uh, Native American reservation casino, but we would go there on Sunday afternoons. They would do a $50 buy-in, the Limit Hold'em tournament, and we would go and play in that on Sundays. Pete, was there many casinos where you were? Yeah, we had casinos in in Colorado that were um, 18 and up, so we were able to uh, do some of those. But I think the other thing too that I've just been thinking about with the with the movie is, and like when we all grew up playing poker, all of that stuff is we like the idea of having an edge or at least thinking we have an edge. Even with blackjack, we all fancy ourselves as like amateur card counters. Like I'm yeah. going to try to keep a track of the deck and see if uh, we have a bunch of face cards and, and now I need to pull my bets back or whatever. It seemed like he had, despite being a banker, despite working with numbers, had like zero um, inclination to try to find edges and push them. He was just like a blanket degenerate yeah. like might as well have just been playing the lottery. That's That was so weird to me. He had no interest in trying to get it in good. And it, in his like data, his real job as a banker, he seemed to be quite good at that job in knowing numbers and seeking advantages out, which was just so strange. Yeah, I that it just like he was smart enough to pull off the embezzling, which requires a level of competence, you know, with getting away with that, and yet just calling up and saying, "Put him on all of the uh, you know underdogs on this." Slate. All the like, all the all the home teams in the National League, all yeah. the away teams in the American League. Yeah, I mean that's that was strange. I feel like that can't be based on reality. Like I feel like there's no way that the actual Maloney. I feel like he would have been like, "Bro, I got a system. I know what I'm doing." I just, and he, and he did mention one thing about that when I don't remember the name of his buddy, but the the first time they go to Atlantic City, they get comped a room, and he tells his buddy, "Oh yeah, I'm working on a new system. Here's the forty thousand dollars. Don't give this back to me, no matter what." Uh, he he mentions the system. As a as a sick, disgusting gambler, I would have been very curious to know what the what the Maloney super system was. Like that would have been an interesting wrinkle. <laughs> that that is the primo person you know is going to lose all your money. I've been victim to that too. Like when you're at the table and then you section off the part of money, it's like, wow, those are my winnings. I won't touch those. Or you do give them like a two hundred bucks to someone else. Be like, yeah, don't give that back to me. That's what I cashed in with. I have five hundred in front of me. I'm not going to need that. I want to make sure that even if I do lose this, I will walk out of here and you know break even. And then you're always just begging the person to give you the money back. It never ends up working. Yeah, that was actually one of the more relatable scenes. Uh, I feel like I've done a version of that scene with my wife, you know, where it's like, oh, take these chips here. Uh, we're taking, we're going to cash those out. And an hour later, you're like, babe, just give me those chips. We need those chips. Yeah, we, we need to get back in the game here. Breaking news. This is an important PSA brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement. For the news you've all been waiting for, the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in both the United States and in Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news to you out there. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 20MAYO at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm blown away 
by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their enhanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. Now, you can use like a straight razor down there on those testes, but what you really want to do is use the Manscaped trimmer to make sure that there's no nicking action that goes on, because there's a new multifunctional on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes one to four. And looks wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil stamp black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. The optimized Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. And did I mention wireless charging? The Lawn Mower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length and last longer. It's probably the only thing lasting longer down there. Am I right? If you're still trimming with your face with a ball trimmer, it's time to get some changes. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20mayo at manscaped.com. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth and balls will thank you for it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20mayo at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code 20mayo. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. There, like the, <laughs> it was funny when he was eating the ribs uh, in the stairwell with the, uh, I guess... The guy was a janitor? Bernie. Ber Bernie the janitor before he became Bernie. Uh, I think he, I think he was a concierge cook. later. Yeah. He got fired twice. Poor guy. Especially after he followed him down to the Jersey boardwalk while he was like kicking the ocean. And that was just sad times. But the, the meal at the end of the night, we always had a thing. Cause it's funny. Cause if I go and play blackjack now, I like playing blackjack cause it's just action, action, action. Yeah. But it's more of a communal thing. Like I don't want to go play blackjack by myself. I would rather go with like two of my buddies and we'll just go spend two hours playing blackjack. If we win, we win. We lose, we lose, whatever. It's just something to go do. That's why I don't like going to the casino to play poker anymore, Davis. Just it's, I mean, I'm not there to like make a living playing poker or like back when, because there was a casino like downtown in the city that I grew up. So during college, uh, I would go down usually on Saturday nights sober, wait for the drunk people to stumble into the poker room and just take, 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 unless they ended up sucking out on you. But it was a great way to, you know, make two, three hundred bucks in the course of an hour and then walk out and probably lose it all back playing like three card poker or something stupid like that. But the, the move for us at the end of the night would be whoever lost the most got treated by the guy who lost the least on the way back home. Cause we had to go over the bridge and there was this like solo 24 hour McDonald's that was in between the casino and where we lived that whoever lost the least had to treat everyone to McDonald's in our sadness meal at like three o'clock in the morning. So I really felt, I really felt the ribs eating at the end of the night when you lose all your money. It's like, okay, it's a bit of a pick me up. That that's very uh, similar to uh, to my college buddies. We normally would go out, uh, say for the the COVID year, do a trip from San Diego out to Vegas, road trip out for divisional round weekend of the NFL. And there's an Arby's in Barstow halfway, and just no matter what, we'd have to stop there. And I don't even like Arby's, but it's become such a tradition that I associate Arby's with soaking up gambling losses at this point. Davis, yeah, I don't, I. 
I don't have the same thing, man, because yeah, you're, you're, we, you do, you, you've done all your betting online. I guess the I've done, culture is gone. Yeah, I've done a, I mean, I've probably been to a casino. I want to say in person, I'll say 35 times ish in my life. Actually, you know what? Just as we're talking about this right now, I do remember an experience that I've had with table games. So in Kansas city, we have casinos that are just on the edge of town and the MLS team that plays in Kansas city plays right next door. Um, like a, a five minute drive away from the casinos. And a couple times after we'd be out uh, going to go watch sporting Kansas city play, we'd go to the casino afterward. And none of my friends now have any interest in poker. So they would only want to go play table games and, and we would play, we would play roulette. So I, I actually do know now the feeling of, leaving a casino that you know having got your money out of the atm and literally leaving with no money and no chips now i'm i'm i just had that was a latent memory that just came back to me as a result of doing this show do you do you think that you're the type of person like him when they asked him about like not betting he's like what am i going to do go to the racetrack and watch (laughs) yes yes that's me do you guys play like so obviously his huge thing was the lengths he would go to to fuel this like literally embezzling money from his company do you guys have mind games that you play with yourself of like okay this is my budget that i'm willing to lose like if i go because i that's what i do like i'll be like okay i have a thousand dollars and i'm not going below this and i'm pretty good at not going beyond that clearly he just rams right through the speed bumps and just keeps going how do you guys keep yourself from uh gambling and not having it turn into a you know a life-ruining uh exploit so i not, i don't deposit you know, that that's probably pretty good pretty smart you can prevent yourself from doing that this question's for pat for yeah, us normal yeah. people <laughs> yeah I, I was i actually had two separate bank accounts i made because i was oh. i was unable to do that because whatever was in my bank account would be like well that's live money that money, that money can go on the table so i made a when i was because casinos here you have to be 19 actually in quebec you have to be 18 but in all of canada you need to be 19 so i made two separate bank accounts for myself and i would transfer money and this is before uh, before I could do it just from my phone, which would be an absolute disaster now. This is probably back in like 2004 that I would just put a certain amount of money in that account before I went to the casino. Like that's what I can lose and just didn't bring my other card with me. So you know, if it was to the point where I lost all that money and I wanted to reinvest, I would have to go home, get the other card, come back and just, once you leave, you're not coming back. Uh, that's the one. That's why they trap you in there because people like st- they come to their senses the moment they walk outside of the door. That's why they always try to keep you in there. But when, when you get some fresh air. Yeah. yeah. And like, but once you're in there and you're trapped in there, like I, I, it hasn't been a problem for ages, but it was a problem for me for a while when I first started going, uh, especially, I, I think that there is a rule that every time a person goes to the casino, they win their first time. And when they win the first time that they go, the best thing that could ever happen to anyone would be to walk into a casino the first time and, and lose, lose and lose all your money instantly. Then you would just have yeah. no reason to ever go back. But it seems like no matter who you are, you walk into a casino for the first time and you'll win some sort of money. And you're like, this is easy. I'll do this every time. <laughs> That's it's like the uh the TikTok algorithm, which clearly gives your first video posted on there a viewing boost, and then everyone is addicted. They're like, Holy cow, my first video got three thousand views. I will stay cranking out content on this platform. I did not know that was is that a real thing? Yeah. Go look through people's first uh first posts on TikTok. Big boost. That is fucking genius. It's so smart. <laughs> 
<laughs> so smart. See, either they're applying the casino methods to the rest yeah. of social media. That's what all this is turning well, into at this point. C- casino methods, I mean, people like smartphone app developers and everything, they they have hired people from casinos. Like it's it's like a, a well-known thing that like Google and Apple have contacted people who run casinos and everything because they're trying to gamify and, and get that dopamine flowing on your phone. It's funny because I don't get the same rush from betting on an app or playing on DraftKings as I did when I would be at the table at that time. Like I found it was far more, what was it? I don't have a gambling problem. I have a financial problem. When I, when I had a financial <laughs> problem, it was me being there in person and going back to the ATM or borrowing money from a friend to keep going that night. But that's never been the case for me online. I don't know why. Like there's something about being in person for me that was like a real rush. And maybe it's because I was fucking 20 years old. Now that I'm in my 30s, I don't care as much. Well, there's also an element for me. I, I'm the same. I consider myself, uh, you know, a social gambler in the spots where I've overextended myself is because of not like direct peer pressure, but indirect peer pressure, trying to keep up with people who have net worse, you know, 20 times mine, you know, who are splashing around and you're like, oh, I want to hang with the fellas and uh, be making the same bets. So you're like, whoa, 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 I don't have this amount of money to throw around like you do. And those are the times I've made bad decisions because same, of peer same pressure. Same for me, Pete. I, I, so, do you guys play credit card roulette? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Pat, do you? Yeah. So I was at a dinner in Vegas. I am, I think, 22 years old, maybe 21. I was still in college and I was out there for a live final at a dinner with, you know, back then they were the DK pros and a bunch of the associated hanger honors, probably 15 of us. And we go to go play credit card roulette. And I was like, you know what? We're here. It's the boys. We're doing it. <laughs> and it got down. It got down to me and Dinkmeyer. Probably, I want to say, I want to say like a $5,000 dinner, maybe more, maybe less. I don't remember the exact amount, but it would have been enough to have punished me at 21 years old. <laughs> and I just remember sweating bullets, just being, being like, Dink, you got to do it for, you got to do it the one time. And when they pulled, when they pulled my card second to last, like I was just, I had never been so thankful in my life. Was that the best, sweat? was that the best sweat you've ever had? No, I've had, I've had sweats for more, but it's the, it's the most memorable one because of what you guys are saying, because it's social. It's not, it's not, you know, me sitting watching a Dodgers game at two o'clock in the morning in my room. Yeah. Do you, uh, you know who's uh who's the worst with this stuff is is uh Peter. the mayor Pete Jennings because yeah, like he'll be like I'll just be trying to have like a fun night doing a stream and it'll be like you want to play Laden things and like next thing you know I owe fourteen hundred dollars just yep. I was like whoa, whoa, whoa. you you can't it's too much it's too much with him he he is he he is the the worst I, I've had that I went golfing with him and seeing the same thing it's just he's too much Pete is way too much. He's got, he's, he's, he's sick. He's very sick. Well, when you have unlimited funds, you can do whatever you want. That's why people want to make all the money. I think what you're talking about, like the, the outside pressure and especially like forcing people into really bad situations. I mean, no one's forcing them to do it. They put that on themselves. Like in our industry in particular, like there are definitely different levels of people who have different bankrolls. And I, I've, mainly avoided this just because the the only time I've ever really tried to like up my stakes and like be a real big player just immediately just lost right away. I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is really stupid. This is not my lane. I can't afford to be doing this. But I bet you there's a bunch of people out there who create content or talk about gambling or talk about daily fantasy that want to put on the air that they're big time high rollers. They feel the pressure to be able to show off. Oh, here's my $2,000 bet, like that kind of thing. Uh, and I, oh, bet, God, I, bet, dude. I bet you it's broken a bunch of people that we just don't even hear about. 
for sure it's broken people because if you run bad at that for like three weeks you you can like dust off like five years of of hard work um like no doubt and i and i mean it's just it's not people it's because you got to understand the kelly criterion right where if you if you you're you are just risking so you have such a high risk of ruin if you don't understand the value prop and i think pat what you're saying too also is there's lots of people who don't understand the value proposition that they're entering and they're like oh i have uh fifteen thousand dollars in my DraftKings account so i can um 150 enter the millie maker i can afford to enter it like six times no problem like without understanding how often you actually get wrecked on those entries do you think that exists pete yeah you no, know, for sure. And I think I was trying to think what is different of it from the casino stuff where, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just feeding his gambling addiction. People in our industry can write it off as a marketing expense. If yeah. I bink the Millie Maker or I hit this big parlay or show this big, you know, bomb ticket, like you can say, oh, I'm going to get all these followers, or all these subs, which tricks you into probably making even more negative EV moves over the long run. Yeah, I, I am completely guilty of that. Trying to go for a big <laughs> score being like, oh, if I hit this, this is going to lead to X, Y, and Z, and that equals profit, and it just never does. Yeah. Yeah, you have to do some real uh, more intense back-of-the-math calculations to know, okay, it, it, am I actually plus EV? It was like me going for the crypto punk in the golf stuff. I'm, I'm awful at PGA uh, DFS. And yet there was this crypto punk, a top heavy prize pool. And I, I wrote it off as a bid expense. I was like, if I even have a sweat for this, I will more than pay off my handful of entries in this contest. Well, I mean, Davis, it, was it Tommy who started doing this? Like it felt like a lot of that, because that works so well. For him, these big dollar screenshots and the way that Tommy was able to sell off of that, that he, he was really the first person I remember doing that. Uh, I mean, the first person I remember doing a screenshot was, I think, Dinkmeyer after he won a million dollars. That That's the first one. That's sure, but, the first one I remember. But, but I think it doesn't that, mean that. But I think there's a difference between showing off you won a millionaire maker versus <laughs> yeah. like every single night. Like and. I can't remember at the time whether he was showing like what he put in versus what he won, but there's just a lot of people that, you know, they play like $200,000 worth of entries. Like, Oh, I won 400 K. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, you, you, the best example of that is Vegas Dave. Uh, I was on his website the other day, literally guarantees 100 and O records. And I assume just betting the fattiest of, of home faves and like all spots, like minus 900 faves, but that's like his whole thing. And then he just shows the tickets in the records and it's obviously completely manipulated. Is he actually a hundred? No, because even on like minus nine thousand favorites, sir, like if you lost no. once, you would be out of money. Sir, sir, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I mean that what Vegas Dave does, it's literally uh, Mahoney actually would have been someone who would have fallen for this if if he was in like the 21st century. So what Vegas Dave does is he tries to cast his net as wide as he can, and then he bets both sides of every game and sends out one pick to one side, one pick to the other side. So he always has winning tickets. And obviously he himself is not betting very many of these games. He just is uh, making, he's just making things up. Well, I think that's a big secret of a lot of not only our industry, like in the daily fantasy and gambling space, but like all of that stuff is that the people that are, are buying this stuff and playing big money, like it's a pretty big rarity that you find people who are doing the plays and doing the picks and providing this content or the picks that are playing stakes as large as you're playing following the picks. Right. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think that most people left who are still doing DFS content are probably playing not, they're probably not playing 
a ton, but they, they probably still play. I, I would say for sports betting though, you're right. There are just not that many people who are laying down even a hundred bucks on every single pick or whatever. And I mean, it's also pretty obvious. There's very, very few people who are willing to, you know, post their results night in and night out, <laughs> you know, people come out right. for the nights they win uh, and you don't hear from them on the other nights. Yeah, that, that's the Pat Mayo strategy, but people just know I lose every time. So why even keep track of it? Just that down 200 units. Uh, that, no, well, I've, Pat, I feel like I've tried to emulate your strategy too, where it's just you don't position yourself as a sharp and then you're just free rolling anytime you do hit. That's 100% the move. Do not position yourself as a sharp. Do not position yourself as someone who is grinding out fucking nfl dfs cash games like don't don't position yourself as someone who does that for sure i am not i mean pete you could probably get away with it because you have the acting chops i don't have the acting chops to pretend i'm a sharp (laughs) i mean i do but i don't have the heart to pretend that i'm a sharp (laughs) but it's funny because when you have like different discussions with different content providers and what they're looking for in the gambling space, like some of them are really big betters and they want to adhere to like, I want to show my results and do all of this stuff. But most people just want to bet a fucking hundred bucks on a game. That's really all they want to do, isn't it? Yeah. And I've been, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all thought about this a lot too, of just like how hard sports content sports betting content is to do well because it is so price sensitive it's shopping around lines move you know one bet or a group of betters can change the line and yet then there's the entertainment aspect uh which is obviously what i try to focus on i think what we try to focus on but man sports betting like compared to dfs for doing good content on it that can kind of so marry, much harder marry entertainment value with you know good advice is almost impossible I think that's the lean that you have to go into it, especially with all these mainstream networks going to get into, especially sports betting. Like when you see stuff on ESPN and Fox and NBC about betting, like half the people they're putting on this have never placed a bet in their life for one thing. Uh, So that's tough. It has to be entertaining or like with a million, especially like, I always try to find it funny. Someone tried to like pick a fight with me the other day over like, oh, you don't win anything in game. I was like, yeah, I know. I, 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 <laughs> I don't claim that I do, but I make more money with losing picks than you do with winning picks because you're unwatchable. Well, and these guys are ridiculous too. Like I had doing playing DFS this year. I had my biggest hit ever one week. I won $10,000. And then the next week I I bricked hard and they go, how does this guy make DFS videos? He just got last place and a thing. Like people don't even understand like random variants and like sample sizes. And that's just like a whole other issue in itself. Well, and Pat, you have, you have such a good niche market because it really doesn't matter if you lose four months in a row at golf picks if you get one good one if you get nick taylor 150 to one at pebble beach you lose for the rest of the year it doesn't matter yeah well you you you, 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 have hit, you hit that one like how long did that one win like keep your bankroll float i'm i'm literally still i mean i'm literally i have not spent all that money on my gambling account yet i i had a very good so the this is actually a true story i have never ran out in sports betting money of the money I got from Danny Willett at the mat, whenever that was, <laughs> whenever you and Feinberg gave that one out, that was, that was my OG deposit way back. I mean, that was what 2015. Right. And I have, I have existed on that sports betting money ever since. That was 2016. I had to take that money out to pay for my wedding. That's where that money went. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear it, buddy. Wait, wait, but yeah, yeah, but Nick, Nick Taylor 
And had Zalatoris hit last week, or two, or I'm sorry when you're listening to this, it's in the future. Had Zalatoris <laughs> hit, I would have been, it would have been, I would, I would have gone pro in golf betting, I think. Pat, what was, the one, what was the one note you gave Davis before this started? It was, uh, don't date the show because it's not coming out today. <laughs> one of the worst things about getting older is, well, responsibility is the absolute single worst thing about getting older. But a close second is having a few adult beverages, maybe going a bit late into the night than the next morning. Not great. So toast before you drink gummies are delicious candy quality gummy bears except unlike other gummies these gummies are designed to restore key nutrients and support your liver so you can celebrate and still feel great before you drink gummies taste great toast partnered with a premier american candy maker to make them and it shows because these gummies are as tasty as they are effective Before You Drink gummies are based on the latest science and powered by natural ingredients like milk thistle and matcha green tea. Toast partnered with Dr. Joris Verster, the founder of the Alcohol Hangover Research Group and longtime clinical researcher to develop their proprietary formula using only the best science-backed ingredients. Before You Drink gummies are the gummy bear snack that's got your back. Every order ships free, and if you don't love them, they'll refund you, no questions asked. So before you go for your next round of golf with the guys or have a few beers while watching the game, go to alwaystoast.com, alwaystoast.com, and use promo code MAYO for 20% off. We're all trying to eat better, but healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Magic Spoon has amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. Zero grams of sugar, 13, 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs in each serving, only 140 calories per serving, too. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And we've got exciting news. Magic Spoon has released a super delicious new flavor, birthday cake. Birthday Cake Magic Spoon will be available in a special five-pack for a limited time only. So get it while you can. Or just build your own box. Available flavors include coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. I would just get all of the fruity kind. I love the fruity Magic Spoon. It's great. And if you're listening from Canada, where I am, Magic Spoon now ships there as well. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab the new limited edition birthday cake or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And be sure to use our code, promo code mayo, at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. And Magic Spoon's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use code mayo, that's M-A-Y-O, to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Uh, What... What this is actually something related to this movie and a term you hear bandied about a lot where it's almost like in our circles a flattering term to say I'm a degenerate. You know, I like to Oh, gamble for sure on it's whatever. a compliment. It's a compliment, but but obviously in Mahoney's case it no he was a true actual degenerate. How do you guys think about that term because it's almost like there's two versions of it. There's a degenerate that has bankroll management and then there's the Mahoney level degenerate. It's almost like we need a different word. 
I th- it, we do need a different word for it because I still perceive it as having a negative connotation. But w- it, it almost goes back with social media as well, where you, you know, if you see losses, they're not you, know, you rarely see like the huge losses. And like I said, there's probably people in our industry that have just gone broke and we don't even know about it. They could still be doing content, just not playing in the same sort of things. Like I don't play in enough of like the high stakes DraftKings things to see people you know, be there for five weeks, then you never see them again. Uh, and then if you don't recognize the name, you wouldn't even know that kind of thing. Or it could be, I mean, there's a friend of mine who can't download a sports betting app onto his phone. And he likes to sports bet. He's very fine at sports betting. But the moment he wins money at sports betting, it's over in the other part of the app to online slots. And then he has no money left. Like, <sighs> like that's, yep. that's degen behavior to oh, me. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, that's degen behavior. I will say, as it pertains to DFS, um, the high-stakes DFS scene is as, as dry and dusty as it has ever been. The games are so tough. And the margins are so thin. And so many people have come to the realization that battling for $10,000 in head-to-heads and three-mans every single night is just, it's not GTO. And so then that has led to, Pete, you know, the new thing now, the new sharp touting thing is to be like, well, we don't know what we don't know, man. We just play the leverage and the low-owned options. And like, (laughs) but I get that is actually kind of good advice to some extent, but also on the other hand, it's a cop out. And so it's very, it's very hard to tell who's being genuine and whatnot. Well, I think the difference, the distinction I would like to make with the turn DGen is I think a lot of people will be like, oh man, I bet on a Frisbee golf tournament and then playing Yahtzee with my buds. I'm yeah. such a DGen. But to me, the distinction is if you are willing to bet on coin flips or less, like literally flip coins for money, not getting any positive expected value, that is degenerate gambling to me but if you're just like if you think you have a slight edge in something because you know how to play like connect four better than someone else you're not a degenerate for playing connect four like you're we're getting su- we're it in subtweeting good. you peter jennings yeah, peter no, jennings we hope you jennings yeah we hope you're listening to this mr <laughs> connect four I, I flip coins I, for money before i've done yeah, that too that, that's degenerate right I, just, I, just, I demanded some action like there was nothing going on i you know what i actually think that betting on the coin flip at the super bowl is a far greater degenerate bet than actually flipping a coin for money. At least you have a 50-50 proposition with flipping a coin. You're not paying the VIG on a coin flip. You also get a lot of sweat equity entertainment value. You probably place that bet a week before. There's probably people talking about it. You get your popcorn and your beer ready for the Super Bowl and you're waiting for that. Like there's a lot more entertainment than if we're just like at a bar flipping a hundred coins, you know, for for uh for whatever. I, I suppose that is probably the case because most like anyone who would be the type of person to bet on coin flips with one other person, probably not the people who are concerned about the three cents of VIG on a Super Bowl coin flip. Right. That's also yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the movie. Did did you buy this? Like, a, was it weird to see Mini Driver in this movie for some reason? That that was another thing I wanted to talk about. Just did not buy for one second that she would be into him, that she would stay with him. Like, just not. I don't buy it, man. I don't, if like if I was picturing myself as like actually a sicko gambler who had no money and disappeared for entire weekends, there's not a woman on earth who would stay with me. I don't know. She was a bank teller in the early '80s in Toronto. Strangely enough, it actually mirrors my grandparents' relationship. My grandma was a bank teller in Montreal. 
during like, I don't know, I guess the early mid fifties, early sixties. And my grandfather's a pilot, so he would just be gone all of the time. But that's how like how they met. She stopped working at the bank and they went off and lived kind of happily ever after, I suppose. Yeah, but here's the thing. Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, is not Matt Damon. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't think she's putting up with that kind of bullshit for Philip Seymour Hoffman level looks. Like, could, she could not agree Damon. more. Yeah. Like, him, like, you know, in the shower when she comes and talks to him, like, hey, wh why did you, you know, stand me up for that whole evening on, on this trip? It's like, that lady would not put up with that from him. Well, maybe she saw one of those one of those scenes with him in his boxer briefs or just his, you know, his <laughs> tidy whities. And, yeah. And they were just, like, irresistible. Yeah, I know that that scene was actually heartbreaking because when he invited her to go on the trip, because yep. it actually felt like a pro level move of like, all right, I've been a DJ and I want to like make it up to you. Let's go do something. And then to know he had his ulterior motives and then to just stiff her like that when they got there was absolutely brutal. I I didn't abandon my wife on our honeymoon, <laughs> but we were in Morocco uh, staying at a resort. It was the final leg of our uh, our sec second to final leg because we were flying from Morocco to Portugal. We were there for a night, then we flew back home. And there was a casino at the resort. And I had just been kind of eyeing it the entire time. I was like, hey, I want to go here. I don't know when I'm going to have the chance. Then my wife like drinks the water at the resort in Morocco and like starts getting sick from it. I was like, what are you doing? Uh oh, she's no, like, can't she's, do that. She's like, well, no one told me that you couldn't drink the water. I was like, why do you think they put like 24 bottled waters in our room? Like, well, what are you doing here? Um, so she ended up like, you know, somewhat getting sick and going to bed early. Then I went to the casino that night and um, I didn't realize what the conversion rate of the money was. <laughs> and I ended up winning like 3,500 bucks when I thought I won 300 bucks. So oh, wow, I was making these giant bets and not knowing it and everything just kind of worked out in my favor. I had a similar experience to that. I went to a casino in the Dominican Republic when I was visiting some friends there and I was all off on like the denominations. It, and you know, you talk like when you play a poker tournament, you're like, you need to view the chips as just chips, ammo to win this tournament. Like they they aren't associated with the value of what you paid for them. That's how you feel in a foreign currency at a casino. You're like, no, these are just chips. I have no idea how much money this is well, anymore. It's funny you say that because the people always live under the impression, like the reason that they give you chips and that you don't bet with cash on the table is that you just don't make the connection to money in your mind when you see them. But I think that's why I differentiate between being somewhere alive with chips in front of me, because I can't do that. When I have chips in front of me, like I, I, they have no value to me whatsoever. Despite what they say on them, they are chips that I put onto the table. I don't equate that with currency in my mind. But when I log on to a gambling app, like go bet on sports, it has my total on the bottom. It's like, okay, I know how much yeah. I can bet here. Uh, I don't feel like you get that same experience, hence why you have chips. Yeah, that's right. That's why, what, what was the uh, poker site we were playing on, Davis? Global Poker, where they're like technically coins and then you have to toggle the conversion yourself. I I, I never got my money off of there. They, 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 there. they, no, Pete, it's not still on there. It's gone. If you leave your no. stuff in there for 90 days, it's gone. They can take it. I'm going to, I need to log back in because I actually got an email from them where they told me that I needed to, um, pri oh yeah, my prize redemption was denied because I need to meet a threshold of, I need to pay someone to play on global, global poker for me, which is, sorry to turn this into an ad for global poker, Pat. <laughs> It's okay. No, it's not a very convincing advertisement. <laughs> yeah, if you don't play for 90 days, your money is gone. Even if you put money in, you might not get it back anyway. Well, let's see if this is true. Let's see if the... 
Yeah, no, my 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 money is gone, Pete. It's gone. Okay, I'm logging in right now. I'm gonna be so pissed. <laughs> this is an amazing business model. If someone forgets your website exists, you legally get to just take their money. <laughs> Mine's still in here. Mine's still in here. How, how is, I have zero sweeps coins. How was the quality of the poker experience on this site? Was like a was like an eight bit early '90s video game. Like they just put no money into it. No, it was fine. I think. This was back, it was like the first month of quarantine and uh, Roto Grinders hosted like the big uh, poker tournament. And it was like back, we're like, oh, we're all shut in our homes for the indefinite future. Let's all do a poker tournament together that we're all jazzed about, not realizing we'd never be able to get our money back. Well, at least you guys got to leave your house. I just got a alert on my phone saying that the stay yeah, at home- Doug Ford. The, the stay at home order uh, to a total of six more weeks and interprovincial travel- is limited after oh, I hope I hope that doesn't fuck me in terms of trying to get out of this province I, and move. I told Goodness. you I thought I thought we told you not to date the show, Pat. Yeah, well, <laughs> well it's gonna come out within six weeks of recording this. Put it that way. Goodness, I am. Uh, that sounds brutal. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's not a great scene up here, despite the fact that I think our numbers are way less. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's, let's, let's not turn it into that. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, that's a different show. Yeah. Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman, Tour de Force performance. It really is a good performance. <laughs> it's one of the best performances in a gambling movie. Well, he's just so good in everything, but like, obviously yeah. he was a real life addict. So he probably kind of put some of that personal experience into this because you really felt it. And you don't feel, it always seems so fake and forced in a lot of movies, guys that have gambling problems, but he really felt like a guy who had a gambling problem. I, I couldn't agree more. I knew he was acting uh, incredibly well when I could feel the anxiety for him. All those situations he put himself yeah. in, I got a knot in my stomach imagining if that was me. Like, I just couldn't imagine the weight of that hanging over me. Yeah, it's it's a bit yeah. different when it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and he's projecting it rather than like Mark Wahlberg in the Gambler remake. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, comparing Mark Wahlberg and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman as, you know, believable actors, you know, it's, I mean, he, he Seymour Hoffman is like the best at that. Um, so yeah, I thought I was very happy to, uh, to have you guys put this movie on my radar because it, it is a, uh, one of his, I, I, now after seeing it, I think it's up there with some of his top performances. Yeah. The, the problem with it is that I, I it's funny because the movie cost $10 million to make, which was, I think exactly the same amount of money that the real guy stole from the embezzled from the bank to go bet in Atlantic City. I enjoyed like the the backdoor channel. I want to know more about that. The backdoor channel that Atlantic City and Vegas used so people in Canada could put their funds into an account that it wouldn't be traceable between the two places. I enjoyed that. I want to see more of that. I mean, that's just got to be total myth making. Like there's got to be I no way that's even I, close I, to I real. I highly disagree. You think that Vegas and Atlantic... Well, so w what is a bummer now is that this is just all so corporate. Like, it would just be the same mega, mega casino that owns both properties, and they wouldn't they wouldn't care who's making money where. No, that's true. But I'm just thinking of, like... Because it's hard to get money. Like, remember, the, what was it, the scene where... Did, that was one part I was actually confused by. When he was, he got the ride with the guy to go to the casino, did he get robbed on the way? Did he actually get robbed? Oh, yeah, that is confusing. I think no. I think he did not actually get robbed. I think it was like a misunderstanding and he thought he was going to get robbed. But the guy just wanted to drive him, I think. Yeah, Pete, did you have any idea what happened there? 
Yeah, I, I was confused by that too, but I don't think he got robbed. But just the, when he's pulling like the rolls of $10,000 out of like everywhere on him, like trying to get the money from Canada into the U.S. without declaring it so you can go gamble it at a casino is a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then where you, where else? Yeah, he was sweating bullets uh, getting on the plane uh, there too. Yeah, so they ended up sending him like the, the private jet where, where the <laughs> yeah. stewardess mocked him. Yeah. I mean, this, this is why uh, he needed Bitcoin, right? So he could just remember his seed phrase and, you know, cross the borders in a very frictionless way. We brought it all around. <laughs> I, I don't know if Caesars is going to be taken. Do, do casinos take Bitcoin yet? I don't know. But that, I mean, talk about, you know, they have the Bitcoin pizza story of the guy who paid, you know, the uh, generational wealth for a pizza. Imagine going back to your gambling losses. And being I, like, buddy, I, I have, and it Bitcoin. is absolutely disgusting. It's, it's just, and I can't, like, that is my biggest DGN gross story for sure. Yeah, but that's not even yeah. so bad because most of the people I know that had like Bitcoin and have had it for a while only have it because gambling was illegal where they were at online. They had to go to some like yeah. dodgy offshore and the only way that you couldn't trace it was to get it in Bitcoin. So then like five years later, they forgot they had Bitcoin in this weird gambling account and like, oh, I have three Bitcoin. This is great. Yeah, that is true. I mean, that was similar for me. Like it was, I got familiar with it from putting money on offshore betting accounts and that that's ended how up everyone knows yeah. yeah but yeah it is now it is funny how it's changed too because that was also back then when they're like oh it's just gonna be a currency we're all gonna exchange it like it was more normalized to just send bitcoin around then whereas now it's like it's digital gold never give it up never give it up never sell diamond hands buy bitcoin not a house davis <laughs> oh man pierre richard <laughs> owned me and he owned me good and boy was he right because buying a house is for it's birds? for the birds, man. Yeah, it's for the birds. Hey, you're going to be happy you have your own house. You are. I, I, I'm I, not going to be happy with how much money all of this is costing me. No, but at the end, you're like, oh, okay, I own this. And it's not even so much of like what the property is worth. It's just the actual ownership that you can do whatever the fuck you want to it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll really see. I'm a man who enjoys his disposable income, Pat. You should know this about me. Oh, you hey, don't God. You don't have kids. You're like Lindsay Nagel. Your wallet overflows with disposable <laughs> income. <laughs> I love the Lindsay Nagel reference so much, man. I really, I really hope people get it. I, I have a feeling that that is lost on too many people. Oh, that's Davis. Sad. I also want to hear about your big uh, return to Instagram. You know, three-year hiatus. I log in yesterday and you're like, kick flipping over a traffic cone on Instagram. Um, well, all the all the youths at the skate park I go to, so as part of this weight loss bet, I started skateboarding again because it's incredible cardio. You, you can get you can get like 800 K cows burned in like 45 minutes. And all the youths at the skate park I go to, they're all on Instagram. Like they don't ask you for your number. They're like, hey bro, what's your Instagram? So I re-down I re-downloaded it. And I was like, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting the moves back. I'm feeling the vibe a little <laughs> bit. And I was just like, yeah, we're just, we're coming back to Instagram. I got, I, I got the old man game going again. I love it. You burn that many calories skateboarding. You're just standing. No, dude, it's, it's, uh, cause I, really it's a combination of sprinting and box jumps really when you're doing it. It's, it's pretty good. I feel like that's you selling yourself on it being more productive than it is. Yeah. It's real, bro. The lady doth protest a little too much about the exercise benefits of us. Uh, I got it. I got it on my watch, dude. I got it on my watch. The watch can't lie. It's literally incapable. 
there's a funny distinction that they make in this, and they they kind of do it a few times. They kind of do it with Minnie Driver when she's stealing all like the little toiletries from the Vegas hotel room, just like dumping them into her purse. Very cuss esque. Once again, a lot of cuss stuff in this, just with weird degen behavior for a guy who's not a degen. He does it anyway. But when he was trying to get the bag that he needed to put the cash in, and the lady was telling him it was going to be five bucks, and it just in his mind, five bucks was way too much for this bag that he was going to put like five million into. Yep. And I, yep. I thought that was just a very good characterization of someone who was a degenerate gambler. If they're not a degenerate spender. They just want to gamble the money. They're actually probably pretty thrifty with the rest of their life. My girlfriend will get so mad at me about things like this in real life, like refusing to make like literally like $5 purchases or like buying like nicer I don't know, uh, shampoo and conditioner or, or, uh, like, uh, toothpaste or something like, I'm like, I'm not spending extra on this, but I'll, you know, obviously I'm comfortable gambling, you know, much more money than, than those upgrades would be. And they, they went out of their way early in the movie to drive that home for Mahoney, where there was someone's like, Oh, you just got the promotion. You're going to get a new car. And he's like, Hey, it still runs. And then he goes, you know, he sees many driver at the desk and you know, take her out for, she wants to go out for a really nice dinner. He's like, Hey, 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 let's, uh, you know, pump the brakes on that. Like they were already quickly establishing him as a knit in life and wanted to save every possible dollar solely for gambling. Yeah, it was even. I, I read that that was true. That oh. that was based off of what he would do. The guy Brian Maloney, I think, is his name. I read that that he would tip seven percent at restaurants in Toronto. <laughs> Jeez, what a hero! Seven percent. Good God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's it's brutal. It's funny. I, I mean, I don't know what the like the rate of inflation has been, but they said that even after his promotion, the, the casino boss had it when they did the digging on him that he only made twenty two thousand dollars Canadian a year. Yep. So, yeah, and I, I mean, I, yeah, because what this it took place was it early eighties? Yeah, like nineteen eighty, I think. Yeah, so yeah, inflation, but still, yeah, <laughs> I mean, to to end up embezzling ten million dollars uh, when you were making twenty thousand a year is insane. Right, he is also the first downtown Toronto banker that I've ever heard of who doesn't have a massive cocaine problem as well. He didn't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. He had no vices. They even tried to send him the uh, the stripper uh, or the hooker to his uh, his room, and he couldn't. Uh, he said he only had an eye for Lady Luck. That's true. There was also that weird bowling scene with her family that I, I don't exactly know why it was in the movie, but it, oh, that was. I thought that was funny. It was funny, but like, like, it has no purpose in the movie, really. Yeah, I mean, it was just it, the purpose in the movie is just to illustrate that he is so far removed from anything. He can't even really pretend to care for his in-laws anymore like it's he just it's completely removed from him like all he focuses on is embezzling the money and then losing that money that's all that there is for him i actually thought one of the more relatable scenes was the double date dinner party scene <laughs> where you know where they're playing cards and he's just completely fixated on the game because i've definitely been there you know whether it's you know sweating your dfs lineups or something and you're out to dinner supposed to be socializing and you just can't stop yeah who cares action. yeah it's just it's so relatable I, I guess now it's just people checking their phones at tables if there's no tvs in the restaurant yeah yeah, I mean, what kind of savage restaurant doesn't have TVs though? Davis Davis is actually the most guilty one of this of all. He's he's the ultimate multitasker. Pat, I'm Pat sure he Pat sent like four it. emails during this show. 
Pat doesn't know because we haven't hung out for real yet, but you know, because we spent a weekend together, like it's it's actually like it's a problem. Like it makes me less enjoyable to be around. Yeah, Pat, when I was hanging out with Davis in New York, we went out to dinner and my phone was almost dead and I gave it to like the bartender. I was like, hey, do you mind, you know, plugging this in back there? And Davis was like in awe that I would be willing to go the whole dinner without my phone. <laughs> was that the trip that you wore those sneakers, Davis? Yeah, the infamous sneakers from. Oh, the, I, I have them on. Photo. I have them on right now. Let's see. Don't do this. Don't do this to yourself. Oh Davis. no. Oh, Davis. <laughs> these are my. These are my. These are my around the house shoes. You can't get them cleaned. Why would I? I don't want to. These are. These are. Uh, that's kind of like the aesthetic of these shoes. They're supposed to. They're kind of supposed to meant to be worn that way. But if you're they wearing, come. They come like beat up. But you're wearing them around. They're. They're like the jeans that you buy with the holes in them. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. Well, yeah. But how are they your around-the-house shoes if you've been wearing them, if you wore them through New York City? They're the most comfortable pair of shoes I've ever worn in my life. They don't like, not even close. They don't seem very just, clean. Why do you wear shoes? I'm like a slipper flip-flop guy in the house. You're wearing full-on tennis shoes inside? I got two dogs, bro. There's hair everywhere. Unless you want hair clumped to the bottom of your socks, you got to wear shoes. Uh, is your, wow. Does your new place have hardwood then? Or laminate at least? Yeah. We got we got hardwood, but understand I have a German short air pointer and a St. Bernard. Like I got two, I could have two vacuums running all day. It's not going to get all the hair. Does your St. Bernard weigh more than you do? No, but it's uh, pretty close these days where we are. We, if we were, if we were wrestling, if we were like uh, high school wrestlers, we'd be close to the same weight bracket. What is it? St. Bernard, like 120? Oh, she's like, she's big, dude. She's like 145. Wow. Yeah. She's big old gal. All right. Any final thoughts on Owning Mahoney? Probably not a movie you want to watch twice, I'm guessing. No, no. It's a depressing film. Yeah, it's funny you say that because you think about like uh, Rounders, one of the better gambling movies, you know, entirely rewatchable because it has this positive kind of arc, the more like hero's journey type of thing. And this is just like a, a slow descent into your life unraveling. It's definitely a movie I enjoy, but I can't envision myself rewatching. So that's it for the Gambling Movie Club. Number one, Owning Mahoney. I actually have a movie picked for number two just because I haven't seen it in like maybe 20 years i probably saw it as a teenager i rented it from blockbuster have you guys ever seen california split no no 1974 robert altman movie no but should, I'm, I, I'm should I know who robert altman is you i yeah, mean you if you like movies you should i'm i like movies do you i'm not like a a movie buff but like I like movies. I would say that Robert Altman is one of the 20 most notable directors since Robert 19, Altman. since 1960. He directed Oh, I know who this is. He did Matt, I know who this is. I mean, he's dead now, but I think the last thing he did was Prairie Home Companion, but he did like The Player, Shortcuts, he did MASH, Nashville, yeah. just giant ensemble movies. Very distinct feel to his movies. But in California Split, it's Elliot Gould and George Siegel are the two main characters. This looks, yeah, uh, I, this looks good. Yeah, I'm in. So I, I, I think that's so. If you're if you want to tune into episode two of Gambling Movie Club, California Split will be the next one. If you had to rate this movie at a ten, Davis, what would you rate it? I give it a good eight, mostly based off the strength of of the performance of Philip Seymour Hoffman and the Pit Boss. I think those are. Uh, I could I could have just watched those two guys just go through the motions of what they were doing for four hours, probably. 
I think eight's pretty yeah. good, Pete. Yeah, I was going to say, like, similar to Davis, seven for the movie, you know, nine, nine and a half for Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. I'm trying to yeah. find John Hurt. Did John Hurt win an Oscar, or is that William Hurt who won the Oscar? No. John Hurt was nominated for The Elephant Man and then in Midnight Express. <laughs> oh, he won Best Actor in a Supporting Role with the Golden Globes in 1979 for Midnight Express. Midnight Express is an excellent movie, by the way. Yeah. All right. That will do it. Pete, chill your stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm on the Twitters. I got my YouTube going, bouncing around, lots of NFT top shot stuff. Excited to get back in the uh, NFL best ball streets here uh, very shortly after the NFL draft. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Davis Maddock at Davis Maddock on Twitter, host of the Take Cast. What you got going on? Uh, yeah, listen, listen to the take cast, um, listen to the sports grid fantasy football podcast. And, uh, just if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you will get, you'll get all the stuff there. And, uh, I actually have a very cool take cast guest that uh, people will have seen by this point. So I hope people enjoy uh, a little bit different of an episode that's coming out soon. You, you don't want to say the name, do you? Cause he might still pull out. Uh, we just don't have it. He's doing the show for sure, but he just, we don't have a day locked down yet. But the show will be already out by the time that people see this. You might yeah. as well say who it is. Put your feet Walker, to the fire, Davis. Walker Walker Ryan, professional skateboarder. He just wrote a novel. He's like a dude I like. Uh, r- remember being super into when I was like in high school and wanting to be a professional skateboarder. So I'm. It'll be. It's like when I have poker players on the show and I get to be like a, a fanboy to them. It'll be a very similar experience. So I'm. I'm looking forward to doing that. I think you mean. Nice, I, th- I think you mean Tony Hawk. That's that's the guy who skateboards, right? <laughs> I would love to look if anyone has an in with Tony Hawk, you see you slide in my DMS and we'll, we'll figure something out. Cause I would love to have Tony on the show. I thought when you said Walker, I thought you were actually going to say Walker, Texas, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris. Imagine, that, imagine. Can you, can you imagine Davis doing a show? <laughs> <laughs> I have sense. never interfaced with a Chuck Norris product for one second. I, I know what he is, but I don't get why. Oh, my goodness. All right. That'll do it on the show. Download the podcast, rate and review, smash the like button to the episode. Give me some suggestions. Actually, don't, because I don't really care what your suggestions are. I'm going to pick the movies for the movie club. Don't really care what anyone says. We're doing California Split. Just go watch that. That's the homework assignment. If you want to hear us talk about a movie and then weird auxiliary stories that kind of go around said movie is, I guess, the format of this show. Anyway, thank you all for watching. Subscribe to the Mayo Media Network, and I'll see you next time. Mayo Experience! Experience!